0: Coming into Advent, asked Benji a couple songs that we might sing on Sunday morning, and when I gave him this particular song, he didn't think it would quite fit with the choir singing, so I thought we'd play it instead. Ron, can we play this? Really like it. Yeah, <laughs> silence is golden. I've got a little Christmas story, I'm sorry but it's sad It'll either break your heart too or make you scratch your head A few years ago on Christmas Eve, Santa was at our house He must have been tired cause he laid down for a minute on our couch He jumped up in a hurry, checked all his reindeer Flew off into the darkness, they were scratching from ear to ear it was the loudest Christmas we ever had, one we'll never forget. Scratched and nits and combed our hair and we're not over it yet. Santa Claus don't come to our house anymore, don't care if we're naughty or nice. We're the ones that gave Santa Claus and all his reindeer lice. It's amazing uh, what a quick search They'd on YouTube for the uh, North Pole funny Christmas songs. We can cut off eight. the rest of it. It's, a, it's amazing what search on YouTube will bring you funny Christmas songs. Uh, I figured Weird Odd Yankovic's The Night Santa Went Crazy, or Elmo and Patsy's uh, Grandma Got Ran Over by a Reindeer. This was a bit more appropriate for Sunday morning. Again, how many lost the gathering last Sunday, the carol guessing game as a result of not knowing it was Elmo and Patsy that sang that song? Raise a hands. Oh, uh, yeah, I figured so. What's your favorite Christmas song? Uh, Madison, our oldest, um, she has one song that's her favorite. In fact, from the ages of two to four, we sang this song every single night before she went to bed. It was Away in a Manger. Listen to the lyrics. Away in a manger, no crib for a bed. The little Lord Jesus lay down his sweet head. The stars in the sky look out down where he lay. The little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay. The cattle are lowing, the baby awakes... But little Lord Jesus, no crying He makes. I love Thee, Lord Jesus. Look down from the sky and stay by my side till morning is nigh. The lyrics of this song paint a beautiful and serene image of the time and place that welcomed Jesus into this world. And yet, the innocence of the manger is overshadowed by an air of violence. Quite possibly, the serenity of peace we find in this song could not be more opposite of what was experienced. For this, take a look at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verse 1. We'll have the words on the screen. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem to the town of David because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her first son, a boy. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. Mary's story, though we've heard it over and over again, it never ceases to amaze me. Imagine for just a second, being nine months pregnant and setting off on a four- to five-day journey in the heat of the Middle East riding on the back of a donkey. I know if I was Mary, I would have said to Joseph, Hey, Joe, have fun going on paying those taxes in Bethlehem. I ain't going anywhere. Have you ever had a 10-pound baby sitting on top of your bladder and the fact that you can't control this donkey from heading every single pothole? I can just imagine that conversation as if it was today. But Mary's third trimester was just that, a four- to five-day journey and heat and sleeping on the ground. And they finally arrive in Bethlehem, and Joseph failed to book a hotel on Hotels.com, and there's no room available in the Motel 6. And to make matters worse, the baby is ready. One innkeeper with a twinge of sympathy sends the couple to an animal barn. There, in the stench and filth, with the cows chewing their cud, Baby Jesus is born into this world. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. In all the poetic majesty of Luke's narrative, he uses several phrases that paint the backdrop of this story. He first says, In the days of Caesar Augustus, a decree was issued. Caesar Augustus was born Gaius Octavian. He was the grand nephew and adopted son of Julius Caesar. By 27 BCE, he was the sole leader of Rome. He was referred to as the son of God, the emperor of the land and sea, the benefactor and savior of the world. In fact, it was during Augustus' reign that the imperial religion was developed. It wasn't discounting other people's gods. It was just the fact that you had to recognize the emperor as the supreme god. And why not? Caesar Augustus had brought peace on earth to the known world. You see, the Pax Romana was the Roman peace It began in the reign of Augustus and, and lasted for over 200 years. But the peace in Rome was somewhat of a relative term. If by peace you meant its citizens were subjugated to Rome, and by peace you meant they were created a heavy, unbearable tax of supreme government dominance and severe violence against those who would be a threat to the Roman Empire. The census was a reminder to conquered countries, who is your Lord, who is your God, you pay taxes, you pay tribute to Caesar. It was also a way to conscribe young men into the Roman military if they were called on and if it was necessary. So the Pax Romana was so successful That as they defeated foes, they all fell under the power of Rome. This is the powerful empire that massacred and secured territories as far west as Spain, as far north as Britain, as far south as Egypt, and as far east as the Middle East. Jesus was born into a time of violence. But the context of Luke's narrative isn't over. Bethlehem is the city of David, so there was echoes of this king that is to come, Yet Bethlehem would be a town bathed in blood soon after Jesus' birth. You see, when rumors of a king to be born reach Herod, he soon sends his troops into Bethlehem and has all children two years and younger slaughtered. The stories say that nursing children were ripped from their mothers and murdered outside, that toddlers were smothered by soldiers in their sleep. O little town of Bethlehem, soon bathed And blood. Jesus was born into a time of violence. And yet, this isn't the central focus of the narrative. Look at verse 8. It says, And then there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angels, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into the heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. It's not unintentional that the message delivered to the shepherds is one of peace. These are the same words that are brought to Mary and Joseph Peace be with you. It's not a message of doom, but a message of good news that the angels bring. Luke, again, is careful with his words. The angels declared they bring good news. It's the Greek word euogalizo, which literally means I bring you the gospel. The gospel was actually a Roman term. It was a term used to send out people into the countryside to deliver some sort of decree from the Caesar to bring some sort of news. So what good news are they bringing? good news be for you? For me, good news would be a lifelong pass to Krispy Kreme and a life-size replica of the Millennium Falcon. The good news is, for you, there's still time to buy your pastor a gift for Christmas. But each person defines good news in a different way. And this good news would provide great joy for all people. Today, the angel said, not a few years from now, not a few months from today, good news is here right now, right in that town below you. A Savior is to be born. God is here. God is right down the road. The Messiah promised hundreds of years ago is born here and now. And the final words are clear. God is bringing peace on earth. Have you ever received a gift that was somewhat unexpected? When I was a kid, my grandparents... Um, gave me a very unexpected gift. You see, my grandparents were cool. They didn't give me the, the sweaters that I was never going to wear or the outfits that every child would be embarrassed to, to want to wear. They, they gave me cool stuff like video games and toys and things like that, except one year I looked under the Christmas tree and all I saw was an envelope. And my first thought was, oh, cash. This is great. But when I opened up the envelope, inside was a receipt ...that my grandparents had opened a savings account for each of my brothers and me. (laughs) A great gift, just unexpected. I had a friend who was sharing recently that his parents found out that he loved the show Lost. And he loved it so much that his parents decided they would spend $150 on a box set of DVDs to buy him the entire series. Great, except for $90 a year you can stream that and millions of other shows on Netflix... In our first year of marriage, Jennifer and I, uh, we wanted a dog. We just couldn't agree on the type of dog. I wanted a Labrador retriever, and Jennifer wanted um, one of those little hand dogs. <laughs> um, and so at Christmas, we were unwrapping stocking gifts, and I reached the bottom of the stocking. No, she didn't. I felt what I thought was a small bag of dog food. What creativity! Except when I opened it, it wasn't dog food, it was a cornhole bag. She had gotten me custom cornhole sets. Great gift, just not what I was expecting. You see, for the angels to announce peace on earth to the shepherds, it would have been a message that the world was not expecting. Imagine it, freedom from the tyranny of Herod the Great who taxed the people relentlessly, freedom from the so-called Pax Romana, census, military conscription, subjugation, taxes, and more taxes. Imagine a David-like figure that news of this was spreading throughout the countryside. The prophecies are coming true. And so by the time that Jesus entered into his public ministry, the great messianic king, that message was palpable in the air. The Messiah was coming to bring peace to God's people. And then Jesus opened his mouth and began to teach. The people anticipated a call for rebellion, a raising of arms, of hate-filled terrorism like the zealots against the Romans. Instead, Jesus taught that if a Roman soldier slaps you on one cheek, you turn the other cheek and let him slap the other. That if, by law, a Roman soldier forces you to carry his Stuff one mile, you go a second mile. Jesus would have been labeled a lunatic when he said, you've heard it said an eye for an eye, but I tell you to love your enemies. In Luke's version, he doesn't stop there. He tells the people to not just love, but to pray for, to bless, and to serve your enemies. Not blessed are the violent, those who take freedom by arms. Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers and the meek. God was and is bringing peace on earth, but it's not in the way of the Romans. It's not in violence and dominance. God was and is bringing peace on earth through Jesus Christ, but it's not in the way we expect. God didn't just stop with bringing peace on earth through Jesus, but God invites us into a way of life that brings peace, not only to us, but to the entire world. But how can God bring peace on earth through a baby wrapped in clothes, lying in an animal trough? How is that possible? The problem is that we as people reject this notion that God desires for us to be peacemakers in this world because we can't believe that peace can come in our world in such a way. We can't comprehend it, we can't imagine it, we can't work it out in our minds. You see, even Jesus' disciples, the ones who walked side by side with him for that time period, they didn't even believe it. Because at the first notion that violence might save Jesus, Peter Peter rips out a sword and cuts off the ear of the soldier trying to arrest Jesus. And what does Jesus say to them? Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. Could I not have called down a legion of angels to save me? What about when James and John asked Jesus to call down destruction on that Samaritan city? If Jesus wanted to take the world by violence, he could have at a snap at his finger. So what does that teach us about the way that he's calling us to? Many who follow Jesus have have struggled with this idea of peace through nonviolence. So we dismiss Jesus' words as contextual, idealistic insufferable. And while the church faced opposition and persecution on and off in the few hundred years of its existence, most of Jesus' followers chose to live into the way of Jesus, into the way of peace. They chose death instead of violence. And the craziest thing happens, the church grows rapidly. But a significant change takes place in the faith of those who claim to follow Jesus when this emperor named Constantine begins to find favor in the Christians. You see, this story goes that on the eve of battle that Jesus came to Constantine in a vision that says, if you paint the image of a cross on the front of your shields, you will have victory the next day. And soon Christianity and the Roman Empire got in bed with one another, and as they conquered foe after foe, The request was, be baptized or die. The ordained Roman Empire to the Crusades, from the Inquisition to Luther's damnation of the German peasants, from the transatlantic slave trade to the Civil War, from the Jim Crow laws to the treatments of immigrants today in America, violence is too often bathed in religious banter. Acts of injustice have been committed by the hands of religious people so long in our history. And through this, we dismiss the words of Christ. But what if? What if we're wrong about being wrong about Jesus? What if our willingness to contextualize and dismiss and idealize and label Jesus' words as insufferable is a tremendous injustice and egotism that we battle within our lives? And let me make a bold statement here. If peace isn't possible through the way of Jesus, it might be because we lack the faith to live it out. If we can't repay curses with blessings, if we can't respond to harsh treatment with service to others, if we can't answer violence with peace, then that has everything to do with our level of faith and nothing to do with the efficacy of Christ's way. Think about all the things that we have accomplished in the last few years that we once thought were impossible. Have you ever heard of nanobite technology? Uh, it, it's fascinating. It's the manipulation of matter, or at least a dimension of, of size from 1 to 100 nanobytes. It's currently being used in a variety of fields, including surface science, organic chemistry, uh, molecular biology, um, energy storage, microfabrication. See, I had to write all these down because it's so above my pay grade. What's even more world-altering about nanobite technology is it's now being used to cure cancer. Imagine a DNA robotic system being injected into your bloodstream, which is directed towards cancer cells. Imagine a seek-and-destroy mechanism for cancer. That's what researchers are accomplishing with this technology. The successful demonstration of this technology is the first of its kind. It's being studied on mammals right now, utilizing and getting rid of breast cancer and melanoma and ovarian and lung cancer. Imagine what was impossible now made possible through human hands. So why is it that we fail to see that God bringing peace through Jesus seems so impossible? Why do we see what Jesus does as something so unreachable? We were created by a God that makes impossible things possible. Jesus declared that with man, many things are impossible, but with God, nothing is impossible. This is the same word delivered to Mary when she was told that she would bear God's Son into the world, and angels declared that nothing will be impossible with God. The Nativity story is proof. That God is doing great things and impossible things are possible through Christ. As one author wrote, God can create everything out of nothing. God can take an elderly woman like Elizabeth and open her womb. God can take a virgin like Mary and give her a son. God can take human flesh and enter into human history as a man and Jesus Christ. God can rise from the dead. God can raise us from our death. God can forgive our sins through the cross of Jesus. God can hear and answer prayers. God can take enemies and make them friends. With all things, God is possible. God is outside of our understanding. In fact, we can never truly understand who God is. God's priorities are so much bigger and much wiser than we can even imagine. And in the story of the manger, we see impossible things made possible. Peace On earth, a new way of living is possible through Christ. And the story wraps up with this in verse 16. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread word concerning what they had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying, praising God for all things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. What a moment it must have been for these shepherds. They're invited to be the first to witness the Messiah being born, the first to see this vessel of peace that will transform this world. And I love what the Bible says, that all who heard the message of the shepherds We're amazed. This is good news, not just for those who heard it first, but for all people. It's good news that awakens a deep sense of joy and hope and fulfillment that can be contained. What's so simplistic yet mind-numbing about this story is that God chose the shepherds of all people to bring this message. And when we read this story, it's so easy for us to get that these shepherds had nothing to offer Jesus. The shepherds were not religiously polished scribes. They were not socially connected men of influence. They were not wealthy merchants. And unlike the wise men, they did not bring any sort of great gift to the Christ child. These guys lived under the stars. Their best friends were animals that make strange noises. (laughs) And yet... God's greatest gift to the world was them. They remind us that each of us are called forth into this world to not just proclaim a message of peace, but to live a message of peace. To be peacemakers in this world. I'm reminded of John Lennon who wrote the prophetic words, all we are saying is, give peace a chance. Can you imagine what would happen If we chose peace in this world, instead of acting on our impulses to be people of violence or support other people of violence, what if with our decisions we chose to be peacemakers? What would happen if we chose to fight against injustice and violence, but with a different way of fighting? What if we used our words to speak out against the violence that takes place in our world and our community? What if we use our hands not to strike down another person, but to serve them with overwhelming compassion? What if we choose to pray, not words of condemnation and judgment towards those who have wronged us or those we cannot stand, but chose prayers of blessings? What if we actually started loving? truly loving our enemies and those who bring harm to humanity? What if we stopped failing to see that Jesus wasn't an idiot, that his words were truth, and that when we live into them, we become kingdom people? What if we began to see and believe that following Jesus for who he really is, the Savior of the world and the Prince of Peace? What if kingdom people lived out impossible things each day through a God who makes all things possible. Advent is an invitation. It is an invitation to follow in the way of Jesus. Advent is an invitation to be a people of peace in a world of violence and hatred. Let's pray.